choir had some get up and go this morning, didn't it, Preston? Yes. Well, that ought to get you started on the morning. Um, before we uh, get into the text this morning, um, I, I'm going to share with you one of uh, my great frustrations um, from when I was a kid, and I, I hope that this uh, is not an experience that many of you share, but I know for, for me that this was a reality that I was, uh, I know based on my uh, large muscular physique today, this shocks you, uh, but I was always the little skinny, wiry, uh, wimpy kid, um, that I was not uh, the, the, the jock, I was not an athlete, um, and as uh, a result of that, uh, both kind of in, in church sometimes with the other guys and then most definitely at school, uh, I got excluded from a lot of things. Um, I got kind of left out. I got kind of pushed to the side. Uh, that I, I got picked on and bullied a lot. And you, it was really frustrating because you look and you, you see this crowd that it looks like they got everything going for them, and it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you can't really do anything about it, that you're not equipped, you don't have the, the resources, you don't have the whatever it is that would include you in this group. For the athletes, it was the athletic skill. Uh, you know, for uh, whatever reason, um, I, I was never really part of the, the in crowd. Uh, and, and isn't that frustrating when you can look and you can see, okay, I see an established group that has everything going for them, and it doesn't matter what I do, I can't seem to find my home, I can't seem to find my place in that group. Have you ever experienced that at any point in your life? That you look and you see the in crowd and it's very obvious, I'm not them. Well, for one thing, I want to hope and pray that that is never Stapleton Baptist Church. Okay? I want to pray that that's never here. Um, it should be very, we should be very uh, welcoming of, now that, when I say welcoming, I don't mean that we relax our biblical standards so that we just get, you know, as much as we can and let's just, you know, if, if Jesus is a barrier to getting people in here, let's push Jesus out of the way. That's not what I'm suggesting we do. We unite around Jesus. We talked about that last week. But every single one of us was, was lost at one point, if you're saved, and Jesus called you out and changed you, amen, and brought you into the family through his blood. So that, that's what unites us. That's what draws us together. As a result, we shouldn't have any cliques. We shouldn't have any small groups here that just exist for you know, us four and no more. So I pray that that will never be Stapleton Baptist Church. But do you know that for a large portion of biblical history, if you looked at the Bible, it almost would have looked like that. That there was a specific group of people that had God's special blessing. That there was a spiritual in crowd, it looked like. And if you weren't them, you weren't them. And there wasn't anything you could do about it. But we're going to look at today's message, today's passage in Ephesians, and we are going to see today that 
it was never God's plan to have a group that excludes anyone. The only reason anyone is excluded from that group is if they choose that they don't want to be in it. So if you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. And we're going to read through verse 14. Ephesians 1 verse 11, we're going to go through 14. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, excuse me, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have provided us a way into your chosen special people, and you've done that through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I titled this morning's sermon, One Gospel, One Plan. One Gospel, One Plan. Why would I do that? Well, if you're wondering where in the Bible is this unique in crowd that we see that almost has special privileges, that has a special group, well, I reference you to any book prior to the Gospel of Matthew. The entirety of the Old Testament, if you're not careful, you will interpret as uh, God singling out, well, to a degree this is true, God singling out the Jewish people to be his only special people. Well, Paul's going to tell us today that God's plan has never been just to save the Jews. That has never been his plan. But to a large number of Jews, even up through the book of Acts, they thought that's what it was. But God has always, from the beginning of Scripture, had one gospel, one plan to right the wrongs of humanity, to save us from our sin, to save us from our death, to save us from destruction. He's had one gospel, he's had one plan the entire time, and that's going to be what Paul teaches us today in these four verses in Ephesians. Um, I want us to see today that to the praise of God's glory, both Jews and Gentiles are saved in the same way. Well, wait a minute, Josh. If we're going to talk about Jews and Gentiles today, and I'm not a Jew, and half your sermon's about Jewish people, then what does this have to do with me? A lot. It has a lot to do with you, and hopefully at the end of it you will see why. First, I want us to see that God's promises were always meant to be fulfilled in Christ. Look at verse 11. Paul says, in him also. Okay, so this, this should, we should be developing a pattern at this point going through Ephesians. We're going verse by verse through Ephesians, and we've made our way down to verse 11. So if you start in verse 3 and you go down through verse 10, you'll find out that in Christ we are blessed, in Christ we are chosen, in Christ we are predestined and adopted, in Christ we are made to be acceptable, and in Christ we receive redemption. Those things all happen from verses 3 through 10. But here in verse 11, Paul says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. I want to go ahead and make the argument right here at the beginning that in verses 11 and 12, Paul is talking about Jewish Christians. 
And you'll see when we get to verse 13, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. You, well, actually, we can compare it to verse 13 right now. Look in verse 11. Paul says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse th 13, In him also you trusted. So you first got we, and then in 13 you've got you. In verse 11 and 12, Paul is speaking about Jewish Christians, Jews who faithfulness, they were faithful under the Old Testament law up to the point that Jesus came. They recognized Jesus as their Messiah and found in him the fulfillment, all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. That's the we in verses 11 and 12. In verse 13, this is us Gentiles who like eating barbecue and bacon and shrimp. And, and we, we, we're not, yes, I, I hear that amen. Uh, that we, we do not have the Old Testament law. That has not been what we've brought up, been brought up under. You know, we don't look at the Old Testament law and say, wow, that has governed my life since I was little. Whereas for the Jews, it did. Uh, you've got two groups of Christians here. Jewish Christians who have found their Messiah in Jesus in verses 11 and 12, and Gentile Christians who have found our Messiah in Jesus in verses 13 and 14. So let's go, if Paul's going to make an argument here, it's important that we understand why he's talking about Jewish Christians. So when you look at verse 11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now if you were to go and you were to actually look at the Greek New Testament, you would notice something very quickly. The words uninheritance are not represented in the original Greek text. But a lot of times when you look in your English Bible, you can probably just scan down your page, depending on your translation, most of them do this. You can scan down your page and you can find several words that are in italics. If you see any words that are in italics, some translations may do it differently, what those italics mean is that the translators of your Bible are inserting words so that the sentence makes sense in English. Because in the original language, that idea was kind of just carried. So you didn't need those words put in there. But you won't see an inheritance in italics here. So what does that mean if they're not inserting the words, but they're not originally there in Greek? Well, the words uninheritance uh, are kind of rolled up in the verb have obtained. The idea is the inheritance is attached to the obtaining it. But we've got another problem. We've got another problem. What does have, have obtained an inheritance mean? Well, we've got to do... Some, some hardcore linguistic work, because if you don't be careful, it looks like Paul is saying, in him we have obtained, we have procured, we have gone out, and we have gotten this inheritance. That I have gone to Jesus, and I have gotten my inheritance. The only problem is, that's not what the Greek word means. This is actually a really weird translation of it. It's in the passive voice, which means... A better translation of this, and multiple scholars would confirm it, this, that you can get this sense in the King James, but it's very difficult to, to hear it that way. A better translation is, we have been obtained as an inheritance, or we have been appointed or allotted as an inheritance. 
It's in the passive, which means the subject of the verb, i.e. these Jewish Christians, are being acted on by an outside force. In other words, we have been allotted. We have been appointed an inheritance. We have been claimed as an inheritance. In Greek, it's in the aorist tense, which means it happened at a specific point in time. Does this make sense for a Jewish Christian to say this? That we, as a Jewish people, have been claimed as God's special portion, God's special inheritance at a specific point in time. Yes, it makes perfect sense for a Jewish Christian to say that. This is not on your handout, but I'll tell you where it happened. It happened in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 where God calls out Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and says, Get up, leave your father's house to go to a land that I will show you, and I will make your name great, and I will make you a great nation, and I will give, this land, I will give the land to your descendants. Blessing, I will bless you. Cursing, I will curse anyone who curses you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That that happens in the first three verses of the 12th chapter of Genesis, that God goes to the Jewish people, who at that point, they're not the Jewish people, it's just Abraham and his family. Him and his wife, Sarah, and they're no kids. And we remember this story, that the drama of the descendants of Abraham, and the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, the miracle baby that is Isaac, and the miracle of Isaac's wife, and... Uh, Jacob going into Laban's house and serving 14 years for um, who he thought he was going to marry the first time and the 12 sons of Israel and the whole saga of Abraham and his family. That God calls out the Jewish people and much of the Old Testament is the story of God fulfilling the promises that he made to them, right? That they were appointed as God's special portion. But wait a minute, is God picking out somebody special? Yes, He is. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6. This is on your handout. This is what God tells the, the Jewish people. For you are a holy people to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. But then listen to why God said he picked them. This is not on your hand, but if you kept reading, this is what you'd see. In verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were in number more than any other people, for you were the least of all people. In other words, I didn't pick you because you were deserving, or because you were amazing, or because you had something special going for you that nobody else had, but because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That God separated out the Jewish people for himself and said, I'm going to do something special with you. That I'm going to make you a chosen holy people to myself. I have a special purpose for you, Israel. And it's not because you did anything extra deserving or extra great to get my attention. It's because 
I just sovereignly chose your ancestor Abraham. Why? Because I wanted to. And I'm going to fulfill those promises in you. Now that sounds great if you're a Jew. But what happens if you're not? If we're not a Jew, then you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, well, this is a great story and it's neat, but what about this has to do with me? I don't know if you've ever had that experience reading the Old Testament. You know, what do we, what do, we do with this? Look at Psalm 135.4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. What's Jacob's alternate name? Israel. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. In other words, even though grammatically you could say have obtained an inheritance, because we do, we do receive our inheritance in Christ, I tend to fall into the group of interpreters that reads this the way that the Greek puts it, in its passive tense, that we, the Jewish Christians that Paul's talking about here, we have been appointed as an inheritance, that God has appointed us as his, he has appointed us as his inheritance in Christ that he chose us out as a special people in Christ. So, when you read this down in verse 11, Paul says, when God did this, when God, when God separated us out in Genesis 12 as his, his special people, as his special inheritance, he did this in Christ. This is not separate from the redeeming work of Jesus that you know now. In other words, when you read the Old Testament, when you see God separating the Jewish people out, when you see God doing mighty works in them, this is all in Christ. This is all still in His redemptive purpose for us. How do I know that? Being predestined, the second half of verse 11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, being predestined, this is the same word as in verse 5. It carries all of that meaning that God sovereignly uh, uh, chooses those. Um, that, that, that's exactly what it says uh, up in verse 4 and 5, that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, that God sovereignly does that. It carries that same meaning. But this time it's used in context of the Jewish Christians Paul is talking about. It has all of the meaning of verse 5, but for the Jewish faithful, they would also understand this as saying that, yes, God chose us as his special people. He didn't do this because we earned it. He didn't do this because we deserved it. He did it because he's God and he's good and he wanted to. That this is in there. That that's why God chose us. He predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Well, the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will is, of course, God. He's the only one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But what's his purpose? How can we know God's purpose? How can we know God's will? How can we know what he intends us to do? Paul is saying because his purpose, what God wants to do, God's will, that's the reason he chose us. That's the reason he separated the Jewish people out. That's the reason he made us a special treasure. Whatever his purpose is, that's the reason he did it. What's God's purpose? Well, 
God's already told us that. Look at verse 9. The reason it's not on your handout is because we've already preached through it. Verse 9 of this. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Okay, so what Paul says next is God's purpose. This is what God intends to do. This is the reason God called the Jewish people out in the Old Testament. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. God separated the Jewish people out so that he could begin the process of uniting the people that he has created. That the Jewish nation was God's engine to bring about the unification of all peoples in Christ. That was his purpose for separating out the Jewish people. See, this is what blew the early church's mind, who was primarily Jewish, because they viewed salvation as just coming for the Jews. What they didn't understand is that salvation did come through the Jews, and that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. He's a descendant of David. What they didn't understand was that the Jews were the vehicle through which Messiah, who would save all people, would come. It's really the exact opposite of what they thought, was that it wasn't, I'm just going to save just you guys. It's, I'm going to use you guys to save everybody. Isn't that exactly what he told Abraham? In, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's exactly what God promised to do. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. That when you read... The Old Testament, like, think about this. When you read the Old Testament, if you ever had these moments where you read it and you go back and you go, I have no idea what this has to do with me. Anybody ever got stuck in Leviticus in their Bible reading? Yes. Oh, my gosh, it's such a slog. You read it and you're like, oh, if I have to read about one more animal sacrifice and which part the priest gets and which part the priest doesn't get and whether or not it has to be bold or whether or not you can use a hook and you have to pull it out or whether or not I'm supposed to have tassels on the corner of my robe or whether or not, guess what, if we were all following the Levitical law, does your shirt, is like 85% cotton, 15% polyester? You're having a bad day. You can't, Mixed garments, no, no. Like, so you're reading it and you're just like, what do I do with this? It changes the Old Testament when you understand that all through the Old Testament, God is preparing this people to be the engine of salvation for everyone. When you read Leviticus and you go, okay, why do they have all of these weird things that they have to do that I don't understand? I don't wear tassels on my clothes. Does that mean I'm a bad person? Maybe I should be more stylish. The point's not the tassels. If you read and you go back, I'll just pick on the tassels for a second since we're talking about it. You know why they would wear tassels on their clothes? To give a visual indicator that we are a people separate from the nations around us. Why do we sacrifice? Because if you read Hebrews, go forward in Hebrews, it'll even tell you that the sacrifices didn't do the work of the forgiving of the sin. How could the bulls and goats, how could the blood of bulls and goats forgive the sin of a human being? Y'all, all you got to do is walk out to a farm and look at a goat for five minutes and you'll figure out a goat and a human aren't equal. Goats are not bright. 
Humans are not the smartest thing in the world all the time either, but we're smarter than goats most of the time. You'll figure out that humans and goats are not equivalent. So how can you sacrifice a goat in exchange for the sins of a human? You can't. But think about it this way. If, if y'all ever listen, y'all will remember this. I told my youth at my former church this one time, I said, do you ever read back in this Old Testament and you read these animal sacrifices and think, wow, these people were so primitive. They're sacrificing animals and burning them in a temple. Is that primitive? Haven't we got, well, are they more primitive than us or in a way are they more advanced than us? If you drove, if we were still under the Old Covenant, if Jesus had not yet come, and we were Jewish people in Stapleton, Georgia, and we were coming to synagogue, or the temple was somehow here, and we drove to temple every day, and there was an altar out here. And every day, you drove by it, you drove back home on the way to work. You drove by it, you drove back home on the way to work. You know what you would see every single day? You would see a priest out there slaughtering and sacrificing and burning an animal. And when you drove past it, you would say, that's a sin offering. Someone has sinned, and that sin requires a blood offering for them to be made pure and able to go before God again. That there was a constant visual reminder that the wages of sin is death. They never forgot that. You know, when the priest went to work at the beginning of the day, he would be wearing a white robe. Do you know what color that robe probably would have been at the end of the day? Red. Blood red. Stained with the blood of the sacrifices. They would have never gotten out of their head the picture of sin equals death. They would have never missed... I am a separate people from the nations around me. That I live by a different set of rules. I live by a different set of standards. Why? Because God is among us. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you probably had a good laugh with us at Peter, who sees Jesus on the side of a mountain and says, Hey, Jesus, let's build you a tent. He transfigures, and we were talking in the men's Sunday school class. Well, that's a perfectly natural response for a Jewish man to have. Where does the presence of God go? In the tent. In the entire Old Testament, where does God live? In a tent. In the tabernacle. In the temple. That was a perfect response for a Jewish man to have. I see God. This is obviously God. I know that's him. Where does God go? God goes in a tent. I'm going to build him a tent. All the Old Testament was to prepare us. That's the trailer. The New Testament's the movie. It's the, it, you would never just watch the trailer over and over again and say, I'm satisfied. I need the whole thing. I need the whole picture. Jesus is the whole picture. The Old Testament gets you ready. The New Testament gets you there. So Paul is saying, back then, when God set us apart in Genesis 12, it wasn't to exclude you, it was to prepare the world for Jesus. The Bible is about one person, it's about Jesus. That God makes these promises in Genesis chapter 12, and the rest of the Bible is spent fulfilling them. 
Go farther beyond that. God makes a promise back in Genesis chapter 3 when he says, you're going to bear a son, Eve, and this snake is going to bruise your son's heel, but he's going to crush the snake's head. Jesus is that promised son. Jesus is the promise of the blessings to Abraham. Jesus is the promised king that he was going to give Israel. Jesus is the promised son of David who would never cease to be on the throne of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And Paul is saying the reason God called us out as the Jewish nation was in accordance with his purpose, that he wants to call out a people for himself, yes, but that is a unified people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that would place their faith in his Messiah, that that was the goal the whole time. So when you go home, what's your application for this? Josh, you're telling me lots of neat things, but what do I do with this? Here's what you do with this. When you go home and you study your Bible and you read the Old Testament, Stop reading it like it doesn't have anything to do with you. Do you know that in Christ, the promises that God made to Abraham are yours? Do you know that in Christ, the promises that God made to David are yours? Do you know that in Christ, everything that God said through the prophets for the future of his people, for their protection, everything that you read in the Psalms about his people, their protection, his blessing... His fighting for them, the Lord being a warrior, the Lord standing up for us. Do you know that all of that in Christ is yours? You don't have to read the Old Testament and say, oh, well, that was, you know, that's just, that was just for the Jews. No, dear friend. I invite you to go read some more of Paul in Romans, where Paul says, he's not a Jew who is a Jew outwardly. He's a Jew who is a Jew inwardly. Not the one who has the genetics of Abraham, but the one who has the faith of Abraham. That this people was called out according to the purpose of God, which is already shown, which is he wants to unite all things in heaven and earth in one, in Christ. That that was God's plan the entire time. So God, uh, his promises were always meant to be fulfilled in Christ. Verses 11 and 12, that, that God did not change his plan for the Jewish people at the last minute and go, oh man, I come up, I've got a better idea, y'all. That was his plan the whole time. So God's promises were always to be filled in Christ. And then finally, God's promises to everyone will certainly be fulfilled uh, in Christ. So uh, now we get to our second group, which is good because the second group is us. In him you also trusted. So kind of how Paul said, in him also we were uh, obtained as an inheritance, that we were appointed an inheritance. He says, in him you also trusted. If you want to see that Paul is talking to Gentiles primarily in this book, you can just write these down. Uh, I'm not going to quote them necessarily because we're going to go through all of them. They're all in this book. But you can look at uh, Ephesians 2.11, uh, 2.19. Uh, 3.1 and 4.17. These are all passages referencing the fact that Paul is now talking to Gentile believers and he's trying to encourage them that they are included in these promises of God. Uh, so you, you see the words, in him you also trusted. Now this word is in italics. 
Uh, why did they feel comfortable uh, putting this word in when it's not in the Greek? Because look at what Paul says in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Paul is saying, and don't miss this, this is huge. It drives me nuts um, in, in, in a way that makes me want to, to, to just say, please, please, please understand this because this, the gospel is at stake. When you ask somebody, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And the response is, by obeying the law. That just makes me want to jump up and down and scream and go, no! Nobody was ever saved by obeying the law. Nobody was ever saved by following the rules. Because nobody's ever followed the rules. Except Jesus. Nobody was ever saved by obeying the law. Paul says we trusted in Christ. Well, how did they trust Christ in the Old Testament when they didn't know he was there? They looked forward. They trusted the promises of God. When, they, when God said, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to send you a Messiah. In the meantime, exercise your faith. Trust that I'm going to be good for it. Isn't that the entire story of Abraham? Trust that I'm good for my word. People were saved in the Old Testament the same way that they're saved in the New Testament, by faith in Christ. They looked forward to the cross, we look back to it. It's at the center of history. So Paul says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Now there's an order here, don't miss this. After you heard the word of truth. In order to trust Jesus, you've got to hear about Jesus. You can see this in Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's just really logical. <clears throat> okay, so they've got to call on Jesus to be saved, which means they've got to believe in him. How are they going to believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how are they going to hear about him if somebody doesn't go and tell them about him? Paul is saying, you heard the word of truth. Someone came, someone preached to you. You heard and you believed it. And he says the gospel of your salvation. One of my favorite early church fathers is named John Chrysostom. Chrysostom actually means the golden mouth. Sounds like he was probably a good preacher. Uh, but this is what Chrysostom says. And well does he call it the gospel of salvation, intimating in the one word a contrast to the law. In other words, Paul doesn't say you heard the law of your salvation. That Jesus didn't come and bring you a set of rules. Jesus came and brought you himself. That the gospel is not... I heard a nightmare story one time of somebody who came down the aisle to a pastor and the pastor's standing there receiving people to, to lead them to faith in Christ and the kid comes up front, and this is a pastor now, who ended up um, getting saved later because of what happened here in this aisle, and he comes up to the pastor, and the kid goes, son, why are you here? I want to be a good boy. You're going to keep the, keep the Ten Commandments? Yes. This child just got saved. You know how long that kid went through life thinking that they were saved? Jesus didn't come and bring you 
the law of salvation. I'm not ever going to stand up here and tell you to obey the rules, be a good boy, be a good girl, be a good man, be a good woman, be a good husband, be a good wife, and God will be happy with you and let you into heaven. He didn't bring the law of your salvation. He brought the gospel of your salvation. That Christ died on the cross for you in your place that you can be saved. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That if you want to try really, really, really hard, you're still going to fail. You can't do it. And do you know this was also true for the Jews? That when they tried to obey the law, you know what the law taught them? That they were sinners. That's why every time they saw the animals being sacrificed, it was a reminder to them. But we weren't given the law. We were given the gospel. Jesus is our way into the promises of God. This is the gospel of our salvation, in whom also, having believed... Now, belief, I'll go ahead and tell you this about this word in Greek, that this is actually the word that also gets translated faith in some other places, but it's translated faith when it's a noun and believe when it's a verb. We get a kind of a mixed up notion in English because we do this, because we don't, we don't walk around saying, I faith that. We don't use it like a verb. We use faith as a noun and believe as a verb. That's how we get in a mess where somebody can say, I have faith, but you never see it worked out in their actions. Faith is a verb here that we faithed in him. In whom also having faith. It's a verb. Uh, it's kind of like if you were to go into, a, uh, you go into a movie theater and you understand and you hear the sound start going off and you go, what's this sound? And somebody says, oh, that's a fire detector, or that's a fire alarm. Really, that's an interesting piece of technology. Yeah, do you know that a fire alarm goes off whenever it senses smoke to let everybody in the building know there's a fire, you need to move. Oh, that's, that's neat, that's cool. And these two guys are sitting here having a conversation about a fire alarm going off when everybody else should be doing what? Running out of the building. These guys have a great knowledge of what a fire detector is. They've got all the facts right. Everything is in their head correctly, but the ones who believe the fire detector are the ones who are going to live because they're the ones who actually act on what they know. You can know all the right facts about Jesus. You can have it in your head. You can accept that it's true. You can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but if you have not trusted him, if you have not acted on it, having the right facts in your head don't amount to a hill of beans. Have you believed in him? Have you trusted in him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus and him and him alone? Have you acted on what you know? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, this is what uh, Paul means when he says of promise. Joel 2, 28 and 29 it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you know that Peter actually quoted this at Pentecost? 
When the Holy Spirit fell on the people that were there and people started speaking in tongues and people started hearing the Word of God, the magnificent things of God, the mighty works of God being spoken in their own language, Peter explained what was happening by quoting this verse. But do you know, even at this point, Peter didn't understand that it meant people other than Jews? That Peter still thought, even at this point, oh, this is God acting to fulfill his promises to the Jews. He still had not processed that, guess what? The Holy Spirit's available to us too. The Holy Spirit belongs to us too. The Holy Spirit has fallen on Gentiles too. Stapleton Baptist Church, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. One of the neatest things I've ever seen is there was a church uh, that was in the same town with us at Winterville that occasionally we would do stuff together with throughout the year, and they had it at the bottom of their bulletin, uh, order of worship subject to change at notice of the Holy Spirit. And I said, <laughs> I like it. That ought to be at the bottom of every single one of our life bulletins subject to change at notice of the Holy Spirit. That he, he's part of our lives, or he ought to be. If you're a Christian, he's there. Stop telling him to be quiet. That the Holy Spirit was promised to be poured out in the last days, not just on Jews, but also on us. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Whose inheritance? Our inheritance. Paul's been talking about one group, then he's been talking about the other group, but now you know what he's talking about? One group. Our inheritance. Us being claimed as God's inheritance and you being claimed as God's inheritance. All in one until the redemption of the purchased possession. By who? God. Who is the purchased possession? Us. That the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God is going to come get his church one day. Jews, Gentiles, Americans, South Americans, Middle Easterns, uh, Western Europeans, Far Easterns, Africans, South Africans, North Africans, Russians, Australians, wherever you want to go. There's one church unified in Christ and that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God is going to fulfill his, his promise to come back and redeem his purchased possession one day. Are you ready? Are you ready for God to come back and redeem his purchased possession? Are you part of that purchased possession? You can be. Why is God going to do this? Why would God go so far to set aside a people for himself? To go through this whole long process when he could have just said, you know what, y'all a bunch of sinners, y'all get on my nerves, I'm just going to let y'all get what's coming to you. He could have done that, I mean honestly. Could he not? He could have. Why would God go through this whole long process of saying, you know what, Eve, you're going to bear a son. Here's the story. Eve, y'all sinned. You, Adam, you sinned. All of humanity is going to suffer for it. But I'm going to tell you a story. That you're going to bear a son. And one day that son, he's going to have his heels nipped at, but he's going to crush the snake's head. And I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. Is that humanity is going to get worse. And I'm going to have to judge him pretty hard. I'm going to have to send a flood. I'm going to wipe him out. But I'm going to save one man, graciously. He's going to find grace in my eyes. His name's going to be named Noah. And then Noah and his family, I'm going to give them the same directive from the beginning. 
that you are to be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth and subdue it. And they're going to spread, but you know what? It's not going to change their hearts. They're going to continue right on sinning. And humanity is going to try and unite themselves other than me, and they're going to try and build a tower, and I'm going to have to split them up so that they don't destroy themselves with evil. But then down through the years, eventually, I'm going to single out this man called Abraham. Well, what did he do, what did he do to earn it? Absolutely nothing. I'm just good, so I'm going to grab him, and then I'm going to make him a nation. And they're going to screw up. They're going to, in fact, I'm going to name them Israel. I'm going to name them Struggles with God. And they're going to do that for a couple of thousand years. And they're going to have some good kings. They're going to have some bad kings. They're going to have this one king named David. He's going to be a man after my own heart. And I'm going to make him a promise too. I'm going to promise him that I'm going to give him a son and that one day his son is going to rule on the throne of Israel and he will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. Nobody's going to ever take that kingdom from him and he's never going to leave his throne. And Israel's going to live and they're going to live and they're going to see king after king after king after king after king after king after king and eventually they're going to have their last king have his eyes put out and be taken into captivity. And then when they get brought back to the land, it's never going to be the same again. And they're going to worry that the promises have gone unfulfilled. And they're going to be occupied over and over and over. They're going to be occupied by Assyria. Then they're going to be occupied by Babylon. Then they're going to be occupied by Persia. Then they're going to be occupied by Rome. And then there's going to be this one little backwater town called Bethlehem. And I'm going to pick a girl. And she's going to have a son. You remember that son that I told you was going to step on the snake's head? That's him. He's going to be named Jesus. He's going to do everything that none of the rest of you could do. And then I'm going to kill him. Why would I do that? So that I don't have to kill you. But I'm not going to leave him there. I'm going to raise him up. And then, then, all the promises that I made to you, Eve, and that I made to you, Abraham, and that I made to you, David, that I made to you, Israel, all of them will be fulfilled in him for you and for everybody else on planet Earth. If you will trust him, everything that you ever hoped and dreamed for this species, this planet, this world, this universe, will all find its place unified in him. That's God's chosen people. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, all of the above. The Bible is one story to the praise of his glory. That's why he did it. It's one story. And you can find your place in that story today. If you are lost, stop saying no, stop coming up with excuses and go to the promised Messiah and find your way into God's inheritance that he promises he will claim one day. I'm going to pray. All you got to do, come. We'll set up a time. We'll talk later. You can fill out a guest card. I will follow up with you. You can catch me at the back door. I just don't want you to leave today and not know Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the gospel of our salvation. Lord, that you gave it to us for the praise of your glory. Not because we're deserving, not because we're extra good, but Lord, because you are good. Lord, that we don't deserve it, but you deserve all the glory. And this is how you chose to glorify yourself, and we just benefit from it. We're so thankful.
So, Lord, forgive us our shortcomings. And, Father, please, if there's somebody in here who's lost, bring them to saving faith in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Number four.